Not sure if the path of your parents is the path for you? What questions do you begin with? What does self-discovery feel like? My journey of self-discovery has been both my privilege and my tribulation. I have lived life differently than most. I offer educational sessions on how to pursue your path. Links and contacts are in the bios. Welcome to the Sex and Humans podcast, season two, episode eight, with Ophelia Bradley. Ophelia has a degree in sociology with an emphasis on sex and identity from UCLA. Ophelia grew up in Santa Barbara and spent her adult life in Los Angeles. She's been over to 45 countries and has been a constant study of human nature and our relationship to sexuality. So on your IG, there is one word in your bio that sticks out. Is there a reason for your connection to Ophiuchus, the constellation, which now we all know how to say? <laughs> yeah, much easier typing it out. Um, yeah, um, y- you know, it's like one of those things that you just naturally find yourself gravitating towards because, again, I'm not really like by any means a fan of astrology necessarily. Um, I know, you know, tidbits from what people tell me, but I came across the 13th sign that no one really talks about, Ophiuchus. Um, and I found out that its symbol was uh, a snake. And my name, Ophelia in Greek means serpent. So um, given that it actually does fall on my birthday as well, it just felt serendipitous for all of yeah. it to kind of connect yeah i i think there's a lot of that in, in you know in finding out who we are which is the principal idea of what this podcast is about right yeah you know like knowing who you are and understanding who you are so you can pursue your own future so in your travels you've had this degree in sociology do you practice so uh, your degree in sociology is that part of your your career I would say it's a part of everybody's every day. Sure. Um, but no, I'm not no. Uh, a sociologist. Uh, no, I work in AI <laughs> in oh. sales. So naturally, um, you can apply, obviously, just your understanding of, of humans and how we interact with ourselves as humans and now with technology. Um, so again, one can say you're always threading the needle with sociology, but, uh, it's also one of those degrees that <laughs> you have to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was a physics major. I don't want to do anything with physics and oceanography at this point, but you know, so it, that was to me a study of the environment. I was really fascinated by that. Ironically, I got more interested in people, but I, I think it's really interesting how, you know, systems connect and so you know in your travels because we'll start there and like a, a fun story about traveling and so sex and identity i mean that's right along the lines of this of this main overall conversation and this episode is kind of about the soul of the world and, and your your expression into it and so i'm really curious on what lessons you've learned in your travels and, and the way that you've seen people interact because I've also been to a lot of countries I've seen this happen and I have my own experiences but I'm really interested in to see someone with a sociology degree, degree applying those that knowledge to your travels and, and being aware of people and watching people interact and express 
potential sexuality in different cultures, which I have found to be yeah, really, really fascinating. Yeah. So actually, I would say prior to even traveling, um, what kind of caught my attention early on in life and obviously what I ended up feeling connected to and, and bringing with me and, and why I chose studying sociology is that I grew up half Mexican, half white in a, a family that was more so Hispanic um, just by virtue of being around my nine uncles and aunts in Santa Barbara. Um, you know, it was like that traditional family where we lived right next door. My, my abuelos, uh, my tias were in front of me, behind me. Like, so we grew up speaking Spanish because a lot of our family didn't actually speak any English. Um, there are two idioms that you're immediately brought into and learning from when you are that bicultural. And you pick up on subtleties of how people interact, right? So like if I'm with my dad's side of the family, which was your typical three kid family, everyone was kind of buttoned up and a little bit colder. And then you have the other side of the family, which is like wild and open and, you know, everyone's like hugging each other, giving each other kisses. Like it's just a different experience. And so as a child, you don't know any different, right? You're just like, oh, this is life. And as I got older, I was like, not everybody has access to this. And why is it that these people are closer? And why is it that these other people feel colder and more closed off? How is it, you, you know, it's just, why is it that like my aunt and uncles on my dad's side of the family, like when they interact, they're very transactional it felt and again this is all my experience everybody else has their own whereas my mom's side of the family like everyone was so playful in their relationships and my parents were so playful in their relationship with each other they were madly in love which is story for another time (laughs) or maybe this time (laughs) Um, but there was a lot of curiosity that came out of that And then, you know, then you go into the real world and then you're in school and you're starting to like pick up on all of these different ways that people treat each other. Um, I, for one, have, I'm one of six, I'm the middle child. Like I'm very touchy feely. I'm very close. I'm that obnoxious child who like my sister would be like, Ophelia, scoot over. (laughs) Like I'm always so close. And I think that I got that from just how close our family is. And then I realized very quickly that not everyone's that way and not everyone's comfortable with you being yourself with them mm-hmm. um, because we all learned how to interact in a different way. And so I actually went to college for psychology because I wanted to understand the why of the human mind. And I got into school and very quickly realized how much of a business psychology was. And that didn't connect with me very much. In fact, it it frustrated me. I remember being in like a mess hall and it was like, you know, like abnormal psych. And I was really excited because I'm like, hell yeah, like (laughs) I want to learn about all the weird (laughs) stuff. And I remember our professor who's like world renowned, I forget his name, such a sweetheart. He said something and he said, you know, whatever the line was, um, sex. And I raised my hand and I said, are we assuming PV intercourse here? 
And he was like, and I mean, this was like all eyes on me. And I was just like, are we assuming PV intercourse here in front of, you know, hundreds of people? And he's like, I'm sorry, young lady, what does that mean? (laughs) And I was just like, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed right now. Um, And I was like, are we assuming penis vagina intercourse? And he was like, wow, I've never heard that. And I love it. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to shrink now. But, (laughs) you know, that was something I learned that term through one of my professors who I ended up really like gravitating towards and who helped me with my senior research paper. Um, I learned it from her in sociology. You know, you don't take things for granted. No one's born into you know, being a specific way, like nothing's innate is what we believe in sociology. It's learned behavior. And, um, at any rate, so I, I switched from psychology into sociology to, to better understand people's dynamics and then, um, kind of getting back to your question of travel. Um, one traveling, you're, you're traveling your whole life. You know, if you just open up your eyes and, and consider the people that you're meeting and the different, you know, things and situations that you find yourself in as a form of travel. But um, I went to Italy. So Italy was my first country. I don't really consider traveling to Mexico like travel because it was for family. But right. Italy was my first time actually leaving the country. Um, and I was in college. and. Um, that really opened up my eyes to being able to apply the things that I learned and be in a space where I could be who I wanted to be. Because even though I saw things, I was still restricted by like what I learned. You know, I was still restricted by the fact that I was a woman. I was restricted by other women in high school because I developed early on. I mm-hmm. was restricted by my family because of the fact that I was a woman and then a Mexican woman at that. <laughs> I mean, there were like so many things. So going to Italy and traveling for the first time, I was like, oh my God, I could be myself. Now I can literally apply all of these things that I've always known. And like, it was a freeing experience. And I think a lot of us experience that, you know, in different ways um, for the first time, whether it's earlier or later in life. Um, but you know, Italians are, they speak my language. (laughs) They're far more open. Um, Men openly will, you know, ask you out or tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, I want to talk to you, which is different from here. Um, I didn't feel restricted. I didn't feel anyone had ownership over my body for the first time. And um, no one knew me. So I got to actually like physically connect and experience another culture as myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what traveling does for a lot of people is it highlights. I mean, it's like a relationship, right? It like holds up a mirror to you. You kind of have a moment to look within and ask yourself like who you are in this space where you know, nobody, you don't, sometimes know their language. Um, you have to pick up on social cues. Again, being a sociologist, like you start picking up on these things. Um, 
And, and obviously, depending on where you travel, it, it might be a little bit more restrictive. Yeah. And you find yourself having to, you find yourself, at least myself, being appreciative of where I live and the freedoms that I have to mm -hmm. be myself, right? Um, going to a lot of uh, Southeast Asian countries, having to cover up my legs, having to cover up, you know, my shoulders and chest. Absolutely, we'll do that out of respect. I'm not going to point any fingers and say, you guys should be like us. That's not right. fair for anyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like um, the thread is is certainly constantly checking in with who your who you are, who the self is in any one of these scenarios. I agree. My, my travel situation was pretty similar. My, I've also traveled extensively and pretty much touched, I think, every uh, experience of culture, right? Um, in the sense that so far now, most of the things that I experience are derivative of something else that I've already seen, right? Mm -hmm. From like abject poverty in India to similarities in certain parts of the United States, right? Or you go to south america and you know there's similarities there there's you go to southeast asia it's you know you go to japan and it, there's it's such this different culture but you know it's it is similar to other things that exist or to your point like the reasons why but the way they approach sexuality in these all these different areas is so different uh it's masculinity and femininity are really mm -hmm. big parts of their sexual expression and i've said it a lot on this on this show you know i, I really think that's a failure of linguistics is to align masculinity to the male and femininity to the female and i really don't think masculinity or femininity have really anything to do with sexuality or self-expression uh, as in to who you are right so I think there's a balance within human beings, but I think the separation of masculinity to male and femininity to female is a survival mentality. And that's something that we developed early on to, to figure it out and to survive. And now some of us that have moved beyond survivability are starting to ask these other questions like, who am I? Because we don't have to conform to our culture or our mm -hmm. society anymore to thrive. You used to, right? I mean, the, the whole idea of being excommunicated out of your your church, your culture, your society, your family, you know, that was like a death sentence. Yeah. And, you know, today, a, a good number of us are like, I'm 100% leaving and I'm going to be fine. Um. And we're not being excommunicated until we leave. And then they're like, fine, we don't want you anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, but it's, it's learning about all these different human beings that have their own points of view, their own experiences in the world, how vastly different they all are. And I think in my travels, I often say that when I start, first started out, I, I really, I really did have a hypothesis that, you know, we were all like kind of the same and people were the same. And in my experience through my travels, I have found that I think we are super, super, super different. And it, it's almost 
irreconcilable. Sometimes the differences between cultures, uh, you know, especially if you try and combine them into relationships and things like that, sometimes they they really are uh, just they just do not mesh. Um, and I think that's okay. But the nature that you know we're all just people, I think, is is a little bit soft in its in its definition, right? I I don't know if that's really accurate. I think people are searching for something, and if it's survivorship, then that's all there is. And so you conform to different rules. You you have a structure about having children. You have to develop this and there is a linear almost path for a lot of different cultures even though a lot of cultures have a different linear path but it's all linear in india you know that it's very much about procreation and a majority of their country is barely surviving if surviving at all and so the portion of their society that is doing well and beyond survivorship they still kind of function in that way they still absolutely have to get married they absolutely have to have children there's there's very little freedom to be who you are is what i've seen in certain cultures specifically like india in that sense so i think it's really interesting this small but growing experience that says what happens after you as i like to say exit the matrix right what happens when you ask yourself who you are and you are not bound by anything external. It's, I think it can be really frightening. Uh, it certainly was for me. It, it can be really daunting and overwhelming when you suddenly realize you can do anything that you kind of want. And now your happiness or your contentment is based on your willingness to be adventurous versus following the rules because so many of us followed the rules achieved success in those rules and then came out the other side and we're like but i'm not happy i'm not i don't want to continue to be here and now i'm confused about my world because i've done everything i was supposed to do and i'm not i'm not into it and that yeah, I I mean, think causes people depression a hundred percent i mean there's so many things that you brought up there <laughs> um uh, for one, you said, you know, you brought up the base of everything, which is lingui uh, linguistics, like just the the literal words we use to describe things, especially in, in romance languages, apart from Latin. Again, going back to like my personal journey and experience and, and my original travel story is I grew up speaking two different languages, one which was very much like everything that ends in an A is feminine, everything that ends in an O is masculine, right? Yeah. So immediately things are, are, are gendered in some ways. And then in English, it's not so much that way, right? So you're already being taught how to look at the world without even being given the like option to think otherwise, to think for yourself. Um, and then you go into the reason why people feel a certain way and start gravitating towards certain roles and, and behaving a certain way, which is just the, the overall power dynamic of, in my opinion, for the longest time, men holding and maintaining that they're the better sex between the two that we thought of, right? 
And so that, that goes down a whole other road, but I want to get back to the fact that um, you mentioned, you know, people being far too complex to obviously be the same. It's too much. It's too simple to say that we're all just people. I mean, the truth is we are all just people, but we are all cultured in a different and specific way. We're all raised differently. So that's never going to be broken. So you're right. We're not going to be able to all get along, even though we were all, you know, created the same way and uh, raised by certain principles that matter to groups of people. Um, but I think that depending on that culture is where you are either comfortable always questioning yourself and finding yourself, or you're raised in cultures and, or in a way in your family where that wasn't something that you felt comfortable with. And then we find ourselves finally trying to be ourselves. And there's this uncomfort of making decisions because we're so used to having a path that you're supposed to take, especially in the United States. This is such a individualistic society, you know, and compare us to a lot of, and I'm not gonna say all of Europe, but there are certainly European countries that are more collectivistic and um, push the individual to be part of a community. Whereas here, we're very mm -hmm. much driven by making money and being successful and being successful means that you make money. Um, and so then when you go into this, for lack of better words right now, when you go into this like free state um, and you're trying to figure yourself out, that is completely going up against and, and in friction with the way that our society teaches us to be and teaches us um, uh, what is important and what we hold in value. So of course, if you're like, finally, especially years ago, and again, this is a little bit different now, because now we have culturally accepted being more open, being more you know, healthy, uh, being more liberated sexually, like we're finally opening up ourselves to this. So it's allowing people to find themselves. But 15 years ago, if you tried to say like, Hey, I, I want to be, I want to be bisexual. I feel like I've always been bisexual. So I want to try this out and like, see it for myself. That would be really difficult for someone to do 15 years ago compared to now. So again, just pointing out the fact that like a lot of these shifts do change over time because of what we accept culturally. And then again, things aren't innate. We're literally recreating the loop constantly. Right. So, um, hopefully a lot of those forms of depression that you pointed out at the very end there, um, start getting lifted as people are welcome in their own communities and societies to be themselves and to have room to find themselves. Um, again, not traditionally an American uh, concept, but I think we're starting to go that way, which I think a lot of European countries have already been that way. You know, I mean, yeah. even being able to be topless on a beach is a huge right. sign that like you can express yourself physically and that it, doesn't have to be sexually. Right. And I think from my point of view, I, I, I spend a lot of time in Europe now. Uh, I, I travel Europe almost exclusively throughout the year. Uh, with a few times, I'll, I'll come back here to Los Angeles. And 
I was surprised by the conservatism of Europe. I think, I mean, I had traveled to Europe a lot, but living there and, and, and really ingratiating myself into the cultures gives you a different insight, obviously. Mm. And I was surprised by, you know, how, like I said, conservative they are in their their approach to culture and society. And to your point, I think it is because there is more of a, a cultural cohesiveness. There is more of a, we survive as a, as a unit versus as the individual. And I think it's interesting that from a sociology point of view, like looking at the English language, that is one of the few languages that isn't gendered. And here we have a much more progressive understanding of gender and sexuality than the Europeans do. And I think we, we confuse Europe with being very liberal in the United States. And we kind of uh, fantasize and, and we, we say, oh, like the Europeans, there's because they've had topless speeches. I don't know that that's really part of their culture. I think that's a more of a, a weird anomaly that doesn't really reflect their, their their perception and point of view. A lot of things are hidden uh, and underneath the surface, and they mm -hmm. they they have a a projected sense of family that we're on this side, at least in the urban areas, Los Angeles, New York, probably Chicago, Miami. You know, I would argue the rural areas of the United States are vastly different. Um, yeah, I agree. But in the urban areas, we, we're the ones that are, are really starting to question it. And it's a, it's really a perfect alignment. We have to your point to the individual freedom. We have the ability to not need my family close by, right? I, we have the ability to develop friendships that are really close I mean, I would argue most of my friendships are the closest relationships that I have. And I have a, a decent relationship with my mom and a good relationship with my brother, but they are not the closest people in my life, right? They, my friends are definitely more involved. They definitely know who I am and can relate to me in better ways than my quote unquote family. And if I was never allowed the freedom to explore myself and to say, who am I? And then find people like me. If I was stuck in my familial situation, like so many people, especially in like, you know, the, the lower and middle class parts of Europe, I, I would have never been able, I would have never been allowed to because I would have been ostracized because the people in my family and the friends that they have were very, very different and they wouldn't have accepted me. They, I would have been weird and I would have either been completely by myself and excommunicated and not invited to the potluck <laughs> or, you know, I would have denied myself, pushed my needs and my interests down in order to survive and fit in. And I think that's, it's really interesting to me what's happening. And I know you mentioned you're an AI. I think that's going to affect the way human beings interact uh, with their needs being met, especially from a sexual point of view. Um, I, you know, the idea that human beings 
need a certain level of sexual connection. And similarly to the way social media showed us that not everybody needs a deep connection to other human beings. Some people's needs are, are actually met through posting a picture and getting 700 likes and the dopamine hits and they're, they are okay with it. There's a whole group of people that want to be okay with it and aren't, and then depression kicks in. But, you know, there are those that, that are. And, and I think in this world of understanding who you are, that the internet, AI, technology, is going to kind of open up a world where we, some people won't need any other people. And they will live and thrive in a, in a tech experience that is completely within their own dominion and control. And I, that's not my world. That's not the world I want to live in for myself. But I can also acknowledge that that may be a world where some people do enjoy. Um, but this world's also built for me, right? Uh, I have tons and tons of advantages and privileges that were either because of the way I look, uh, the way I was raised, uh, the level of intellect, emotional availability, the freedoms that I've had and that I've fought for, and that I would argue in some cases earned, but I was also given the opportunity to earn them and succeed or fail. And sometimes I've succeeded, sometimes I've failed, but I was, I was allowed to have those opportunities. And, you know, and I can credit, you know, my parents with that, that freedom, even though I think a lot of times I, my mom was not thrilled with my freedom choices, <laughs> but she, she did, she, she has, she allowed credit. for it. And even if she wasn't supportive in the sense that she, she could understand what was happening and communicate and contribute to my journey, she was not, uh, she never like cut me off or, you know, and you, and you hear horror stories, you know, especially when people from a sexuality point of view is like, oh, I'm, I'm gay and my father never talked to me again. Like, that's yeah. hard. Like, that's, yeah. that really is that excommunicated experience. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something I never had to deal with. Um, a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of confusion and what, why, but never, that's disgusting and I, I want you out of my life, right? You're not yeah. my son anymore. And people, you know, some people have heard that and they've had to move forward with that baggage. So, you know, I can appreciate the, the, the fortunes that I've had. Um, but again, this world was built for me. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it's not built for everyone. You know, I, uh, my mother has a, a friend of hers and, you know, he's really, really heavy. He's got a couple different health problems and this world was not built for him. You know, he, he can't even sleep in a bed. He sleeps in a chair uh, and he goes to work and he lives a life and he watches sports in the chair and he sleeps in the chair. But these, and I, I would argue he's doing the best with the circumstances that he was given, right? Mm -hmm. He has a lot of health issues that, you know, may or may not be self-inflicted, but they're there nonetheless. And that changes the way the world interacts with him. And, you know, what, what are we going to, what are we going to do with these human beings? You know, how do we provide 
a life or how do they find a life because yeah. they can't do the things that I do. And so in, in, I try and be aware of that and empathetic to those experiences because, you know, I think a lot of times when people start to profess, hey, I've, I've lived a weird life. I've learned a lot of lessons and I want to mm -hmm. communicate that to the general public in order to help. This is my contribution back into society. You have to be aware that not everybody is coming at the world with all the tools that you have and you have to kind of, I like to really boil it down. So to that point, as a sociologist, technically, uh, who is very well versed in tech, I'm assuming, um, what do you see for the future? How do you think people in 10 years are going to relate to the world? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you brought up uh, exactly what... Um, so a couple different things here. Um, it's a bit of what comes first, chicken or the egg, right? It's like um, AI, I think, will definitely, and tech in general, will bring about a way for those who don't have the physical connection, don't have the access that the, this world is, quote unquote, not built for. And there's an incredible book called The Body Silent that um, really talks about people who are physically not born for this world. This world, the way that we, you know, build buildings aren't for people who, for example, are in wheelchairs. And so there's a whole lot of that. Um, yeah. But that being said, it's speaking to a problem that perhaps doesn't have to exist when it finally does exist. So you have tech, you have AI, you're going to have people who hopefully have connection, be it virtual, you know, VR, AR. Um, there's certainly bots that are <laughs> in development who will be companions for those people who want that. Um, so there's thankfully going to be options for people who connect in a different way that they don't find is easy for them right now. But before you even get there, and hopefully what ends up being the future is, in fact, my, my entire like thesis <laughs> was written on um, the Zen of sexuality. And by that, I mean, if we remove the concept of sex from so many things, right? So like if a hug, if a kiss on the cheek, if all of these things were normal and weren't sexualized, and obviously in a lot of places they're seen that way, which is fantastic. I can certainly hug a friend and kiss them on the lips without someone freaking out. Um, and for me, that's a form of closeness. It has nothing to do with sexuality. It's a form of connection and forging that connection is what makes me happy. What makes me happy makes me a better person to myself and to the community around me. So if we're allowed access to finding who we are and given the tools and given the playground for that as kids, I think we will go on to have less mental illness, happier people. So in fact, I might be optimistic in this. My, my sense of the future, I think, is going to come more from the likes of you and I who are so open about talking about sexuality and everybody else who's been on your podcast um, and people who are part of 
you know, lifestyles and are now bridging the gap. There's going to be a lot more apps and tech out there for people in the lifestyle to connect and be more open about what their desires are. You're going to have people who are like, yeah, I love fucking robots. That's like my thing. That makes me happy. And we're going to be accepting of that. We're not going to be like, you're fucking weird. You know, we're going to be like, cool. You found whatever makes you happy, you know, like, and it's, and, and you're not hurting anyone or yourself. So like, hell yeah, that's, that's what we want. We want more access to things that tap into what we personally connect with and for it to be okay, not just for ourselves, but for others to perceive that as okay, which means that we have a holistic community that is welcoming of people as actual individuals and allows for us to explore that space. And so I really do think with, with tech and AI in general, that's going to be, it's, it's this, it's this fun dance of almost going back to go forward because Mm. it just feels like without us connecting with ourselves, we can't connect with technology. Um, and the more open we are with ourselves, hopefully the people who are creating a lot of these technologies also feel that way. Cause what you put in is what you're getting out. And that is like my biggest thing with AI is who your data trainers are, who your founder is and why he's founding this company, um, is incredibly important to what that product ends up being. So if you have someone who is trying to push through tech to help folks connect with whoever they are and truly are unbiased and going into what they're putting into their, you know, large language model or their foundational model, you're going to get an incredible output. If you have some angry guy who hates new age feminism, um, who is trying to build a bot, you're probably going to get a little bit of some really bad AI on the other end of that. Right. Mm. So it's, it's hugely important, I think, for us to continue these conversations of sex and self and be more accepting as we're I, also I building agree. our I tech. Think, you know, culture had its place. Religion was a big part of culture. And I'm not religious. Uh, I mean, I grew up very religious. My mother is still quite religious. My brother is extremely religious. Um, which I think is great. I, 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 I often describe, and I need to come up with a better word because it's, uh, it, it gets mis, un, misheard. But I, I think, you know, there's simple people and there's complex people and neither one of them are better or worse. It's just who you are. And, you know, the simpler you are, the, the more easy it is for you to take in the external definitions of the world passed along from generation to generation. And you're just like, this is what the world is. And you're like, cool. I just want to make some money. Yeah. Survive, meet somebody nice. Who's nice to me and make children like they've done for thousands of years. I think the simple parts of that are important and we do need to make some people. I'm not on the, uh, the train that, we need to continue to populate at the rate that we are doing. I'm, I'm much more on the train of like, we should just, you know, naturally let things, you know, 
regress a little bit. You know, we don't need a hundred billion people on the planet. Uh, in fact, I would argue like the balance is probably between like two and three billion. And the more complicated people are, the more they ask questions, the more they ask why, the more they want to know. Like they're the ones, the complicated people were the ones that looked up at the sky and, you know, and were like, the stars are doing weird things and they're kind of moving <laughs> in circles. And meanwhile, you know, the simple people had their, their face in the dirt and they were making crops and they were surviving, right? And there is a, a luxury that is required in order to have access to certain complicated experiences, right? If, if, you're, if you're starving to death or, you know, you're not sheltered, it's very difficult to wonder about, you know, existential ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, there's a, a kind of a sifting that happens there too. But I really think the, the value to AI, the value to this tech is that it's potentially going to be able to translate these very complicated ideas that some of us are having and entertaining into much more simple terms that allow people to digest very complicated things very simply and then ingratiate that into their culture and their life. Uh, one thing that I, I, I remember from India, there was a, a man that I met and I had all these different conversations and I was having this conversation with this guy and he was like, this is 2018. Uh, and he said, your country, America, is science oriented. And I, I laughed and giggled because I was like, you know, yeah, I wish that were true. But uh, yeah, I'm not really I'm not really buying that. But please go on. And he's like, you know, our religion, our country is spiritual. And if we were to embrace the way that you live, we would lose our culture. And that was really important to him. My first reaction to him was, no, you won't. I don't think so. I don't agree. I think you, you know, it's mixed it's possible. And then I reflected on it and I realized he's right. He's, I think, 100% right. He would, they would lose their culture because suddenly the religion wouldn't make any sense, right? It, it, people would start questioning it and they'd be like, this isn't real. This isn't real. You know, what are the lessons taught by these religious texts and these religious parables and these stories that have value to me in my life but like i don't need to travel barefoot for you know a thousand kilometers for two minutes with the statue of shiva and Varanasi uh in intense intense heat to prove to a statue that i am worthy that's not real in my opinion and even if it's very real to other people, it adds meaning to their life. But I think there's, there's a way to start to communicate a broader sense of meaning and to allow people to ask themselves, what's meaningful to me? And if that trek is important, then go ahead and make it. You know, I've, I have uh, one of my bucket list goals is to hike as much of the piece, uh, uh, Pacific Coast Trail as I can. There's there's no other value to that other than me doing it. I'm probably not going to do it barefoot. Uh, <laughs> but but like it doesn't make any sense. Like there's no value to that to me. Like I'm yeah. not 
you know what I mean? It, it, but it's something I want to do. And it's, it's not for God or anything. I just think it'd be a it personal so. challenge and it would be really mm -hmm. beautiful and interesting. And, 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 and I'd learn things about myself. And so I think that's where a lot of these cultural structures were, were put in, but they had limits, right? They didn't want you to learn too much about yourself in this context. They didn't want you to learn too much about yourself here. And, you know, this is bad. Don't do this. Um, and this is 100% necessary. And because it perpetuated the species, it created cohesive family units, which I do think is important. I just don't think it's for everyone. Not everybody needs a partner. Not everybody, I think, is designed for a partner. You know, sure. I'm questioning that in myself, right? Whether or not that's something that is important to me, I don't know. There's still a part of my culture that tells me that it should be and that that's where happiness lies, so to speak, right? Uh, you know, find a partner and then you know, be partnered and share everything. But I'm not by myself, right? I, I can understand if, if I were completely isolated, having a partner would be important. But I think that used to be the world. Uh, it was really just you, your partner, whatever children you made, and that was it. Uh, and any family that you had on both sides, which is why the family alignments were so important. And I think your, your situation is really fascinating because it is a mix of culture. And I think that that creates really interesting people, case in point. And those cultures, when they mix, sometimes don't always mix well, or they mix in uh, contradictory ways. But it does, it, it, to your point, it exposed you to all these different points of view, which probably encouraged your complexity. Yeah. I mean, my, <laughs> uh, my mom is also really religious, very Catholic. We're very, I was raised uh, very kids. Catholic and yeah, and Mexican and Irish on my dad's side. So <laughs> alcoholism and Catholicism. <laughs> but um, that sounds like the, most of the uh, Western world. <laughs> honestly um but the funny thing is something that you just reminded me of in that last um moment was growing up I remember like I think I must have been in ninth grade or something I I went from like being this scrawny little you know like long-limbed kid always like had dirt in my hair and like never had shoes on to and I was still very much that kid, but like my body kind of betrayed me because I suddenly like developed and like, you know, like whatever Western standards for teenagers were like, I was that. And so I became very popular and I had a lot of like things going on. And I remember walking out of the house wearing Honestly, the same shit I normally wear, would wear, like nothing like jean shorts and like a tank top. But because I suddenly had breasts, that tank top looked a little different. And so I'm mm -hmm. walking out the door and my mom is like, Mija. And I was like, yeah, she's like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm going to meet up with friends. And she's like, Mija, you're going to get raped wearing that. And I was yeah. like, and my dad who was like always my best friend, my, me, and my mom just butt heads, I think because of the cultural difference, but 
here I am like same scenario, different parent. And my dad's like, you're going to be fine. Have fun. You know, like, and it's like, that's where I got a lot of my, I guess my confidence in that, like, I got this. And I also grew up playing sports, which was very much like me and my dad's thing. Um, so, and obviously like that in and of itself, like enables people to feel a certain comfortability and whatnot. So like, I always felt like no matter what I could outrun someone, I could whatever, which is crazy that <laughs> women have to think that way, but we did. Um, but you know, my mom was raised in a culture where they told these stories to like build in fear and control. And perhaps they needed that in Mexico. Yeah. She's from Guadalajara at her age, you know, when she was a kid. Um, but that certainly didn't service anyone at my age in Santa Barbara. You know, like I was just like, I'm pretty sure I'm safe here. Um, but it's but it's interesting the things that we do take with us and what is important culturally, you know, be it religion on one side dependence, independence, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And, and I think that's, what's so great about actually like a lot of like mixed cultures and our ability to travel and connect with people and find out more about their culture and their life and what makes them tick. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, people would lose who they are if they suddenly found themselves questioning the why what they've been told yeah yeah we all, many of us have done it right i think there's a global culture coming um which is agreed in part thank you to the internet right I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not a big proponent of social media and its value but you know it does have some and some of it has been really really positively impactful and you know when you when you look at isolated cultures uh in the Far East, uh, uh, the Southeast Asia, you know, Bali, these experiences that were extremely cut off from the world, at least our world, and did not have the ability to travel. It's something that Americans surprisingly don't take as much advantage of. But, you know, historically in the last 50 or 60 years, you know, we've had the ability to travel more than most countries. Uh, some countries, like Morocco, for example, when I was there, you know, speaking with a guy and he was like, well, I, I, I don't travel a lot because I can't. Most countries don't mm -hmm. accept my passport. Yep. And that is real for so many people. And before the Internet, you couldn't go and be like, what are other people like? You know, and that is a privilege that I've I've lived into since I was 19. The first time I left the country on my own to England, France, and then Italy. Uh, I, I spoke Latin as a uh, high schooler, so Italy was really fascinating to me. <laughs> Same. The, the Roman <laughs> cultures and things like that. And I, I, you know, I felt like a, a connection to those, to those places because I could read what it said um, at the time anyway. And that really, really hit home. That the first time that I realized how how important the american passport was i mean this is 25 years ago things are changing but at the time was when i was in um bahrain 
I was in the Navy and we, we, we ran into the dancers in the Middle East and, you know, they were essentially indentured servants, if not slaves and prostitutes and, uh, and how valuable that blue eagled passport was and the kind of freedoms that it, it allowed for us to travel allowed for us to be who we wanted to be. It was really, really profound to me. It, like I had a lot of empathy for the what human beings had to do to survive and to get out and what they thought was a good deal versus our perception potentially would be that's indentured labor and that shouldn't ever exist. But, you know, the, the world is now with the internet aware more and more and more of what other people do. And unfortunately, it's, you know, the narcissism of the human beings and the way they present themselves online is really causing some negative side effects. But yeah, you know, it is exposing people to the way other people live. Yeah. And that's, I think, in part causing some need for power, right, that to control, to your point, like, I completely agree that you know, we really don't have the right to tell other cultures what they should and should not be doing. No, And there, there are lines of atrocity, sure, that can be debated, like what happens when they're doing this in Africa or they're doing this in the Middle East. Like, you know, what point do we have a global set of rules? Uh, but I think those global set of rules need to be defined by the global community and take into consideration a lot of different things. You can't just come at it from a, a Los Angeles, super liberal, super affluent point of view and say, all you guys need to stop living this way. Um, and it's difficult because we would never allow them. We, we literally have fought several wars over at this century, you know, about making sure that our way of life is protected and other people feel the same. And they want to protect their way of life. But I think the beautiful part about the internet is it's starting to tap into it and starting to say like, it's not so bad over there, right? Like, you know, all the, 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 the stories and the, the, the lies, honestly, about different cultures or just the misunderstandings about different cultures. I love reading anecdotes about, you know, what, exists here and is super common that just doesn't exist in Europe, like garbage disposals, <laughs> right? These simple little thing, but it doesn't exist there. So the way that European households handle food waste is completely different than the way we do. Yeah. Um, most people don't have dryers. Yeah. Know that. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it was one of the one of the things that you know my you know my uh from my culture right being here i, I did buy a dryer uh in my in my my house in in, in lisbon in lisbon yeah and yeah. uh it's really funny because no no one else has one but you know I, I tried to do the the hanging of the laundry experience but it gets really <laughs> stiff i didn't like it and i was like i'm just gonna buy a dryer we like what we like. I mean, I think and that it's it's got value, right? Like dryers yeah. are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like they really are, because you know what? Sometimes it rains, 
And then what do you do? You have a yeah. bunch of clothes in your living room. Gotta leave it out there. And uh, yeah, so it's, but these are all cultural experiences of mm-hmm. expectation, right? And, and being aware that things exist. Um, I would, I would love to bring like a, a, an older Portuguese woman who has never left Portugal, maybe lives in like Porto Alegre or some small town, mm-hmm. and then just bring her to the United States and take her to a Costco. Oh, God. Well, that, <laughs> that would be my mom, and she would send you pictures all the time of all these cool things that she had at Costco. <laughs> they have a giant box of Cheerios. It's six feet high. Right? Yeah. Um, there are 27 no. steaks in this thing. This um, is incredible. Um, it's just really that is actually like, yeah. You know, so, I mean, and, and you know, to, to kind of conclude and bring it back around, like, I, I think the sexuality of cultures is one of the first things that if we can start to open up and start to allow people to identify who they are in those contexts in a sexual mm-hmm. context and their relationship mm-hmm. to other human beings or just the relationship to themselves to your point with like ai and you know self-pleasure because that's essentially i guess what that would be right if you're not empathetic enough to explore the pleasures and have joy from causing someone else pleasure you know we could argue that that's not great Unless that's okay if you're not required to engage with somebody that needs someone to care, you know, and and I think it's going to cause some problems in cultures, but, you know, those, those cultures had purpose, they were developed thousands of years ago, and it perpetuated, Um, you know, I've talked a lot about on here is like in the last century you know, why men, I think, are having a movement right now with empathy and sexuality. And there's a and there's another masculine movement that's happening that's, you know, trying to recapture yesterday's man and, you know, argue that that is the only value to men. And then there's this new experience. But I think this new experience is men didn't have access to their emotionality for a long time because we we really, really couldn't. I think, you know, our parents' generation was really still a generation that probably understood what it was like to lose a child or to lose a wife in childbirth. And especially our grandparents' generation, they definitely understood what that was like. So as a man, I couldn't, I couldn't, fall apart if that happened i had to keep going right and so you know you can't have access to those things whereas now we can medicine has allowed us to not have to deal with those atrocities as part of the regular way of life so we're able to be more empathetic more emotionally connected women are able to express themselves and which you know they're ahead of men i think that you know the sexual liberation movement in the 60s and birth control and penicillin that allowed infections still, not still to, to there's wipe. still a whole lot of slut shaming <laughs> so but even though a, even though we had a the holdover of the culture and no, it's changing 
right? It's no longer because totally. I think, you know, 50, 60 years ago, there was cultural truth to slut shaming, right? Because if you went out and you were a woman and got pregnant because there was no birth control, none of that, if you had sex at all, that was a consequence of sexuality. And if you got pregnant by a man who you were sleeping around before you could do a birth test and be like, you're the reason that this has happened. You know, it's, you, you were, you were on your own. No one was going to take care of you. Didn't have the ability to financially support yourself. You, you've disgraced your family because you've, you've basically made choices that hurt people, right? Including yourself and potentially your child because so there was reasons for that. I, I think, you know, not, I'm not defending it specifically, but like, you know, your point with the fear stuff on the stories and the parables, like don't go into the woods. There's a witch that's going to eat you. Yeah. Like the woods were dangerous. And if kids went into the woods, they did get hurt and they did die or they did get injured. And the parents were trying to protect them. And the easy, they couldn't explain, well, you could fall off a log. Well, I'm not going to fall off a log. Well, there's a witch. So she's going to eat you. Oh, that scares the shit out of me. So I'm not going to go into the woods. And then it's solved. And I think there was a lot of that in in every aspect of our life, right? You know, and, and then there were moments and experiences that validated some of those fears. You know, in the, eight, in the 80s, AIDS was a big part of that, right? And suddenly there was this valid argument that, you know, this sexual liberation was really a problem and it, it you know it set us back a little bit but then we medical science sorted it out now it's almost a, a, a curable experience and it's uh and we, we we've moved past it and it's no longer a threat especially in like in my communities and in, in your communities it's just it's not something we're concerned about anymore and I think all those things start to really affect the way that cultures start to form. And I think what's happening right now is there is this, like I said, this global culture that's forming that has a lot of individualistic expression uh, without denying the need for community or just defining community a little bit. I mean, I think people just find that they're, desires their likes their hobbies interests whatever it is as individualistic as it may feel because you're on that quest finding it for yourself there's an easier way to connect with those same people yeah through technology through social media mm. you know you maybe find them in person and maybe you find them online because you don't have a passport that allows for you to actually travel to the country that your people are in. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think there's definitely uh, a shift. I think AI is going to be what was social media for us 10, 15 years ago is going to be like that new revolution of, of both bringing people together. And also I think there's going to be a lot of that negative, like you said, you don't really love social media for all intents and purposes, but there are things that are good that come from it. And I think AI is going to be that same exact way where it's going to do a lot of good for a lot of people. And there's going to be some bad stuff that comes from yeah. it. And well, I, I know that to, 
look at the secondary consequences, right? Um, I hope we're able to say like, okay, this is what we would like this thing to do, but what's it actually going to do, right? In context of like, really how do people respond, right? The like button is great, but it's mostly terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but the, the people that put that out there, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I really don't think that it was like, let's increase teenage girl suicide by 30%. Yeah. No, of course not. I don't know. So. I, I feel like, um, I, I hope anyways, that it'll bring people a lot closer together. It'll find commonalities across people that we otherwise didn't have access to. Um, and actually going back to the original source of information, um, people are actually more <laughs> the same than they are different, I think mm. would be what like the algorithm finds. <laughs> It'd be really interesting. I, I mean, that was, that was my hypothesis. I, I, I now have a, data sets that are giving me different conclusions but you know i hope that we can start to find those commonalities in our cultures and not just see the differences the current state of the world does not support that in my opinion but perhaps with more education more exposure we can start to turn the tide Uh, yeah you know the first thing we've seen is how different we are and how different experiences are threats. And to your point before, the ability to perceive differences is not threatening. To say, hey, you want to go and have sex with a, an AI robot? And like that is the end-all, be-all of your experience and your needs are met? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I need more than that. That's okay because that's available to me too. Uh, exactly. And, and not needing everyone to agree with you, which is, you know, a big part of culture, right? It's, it's convincing the most people because there was strength in numbers to abide by your set of rules. Uh, I think religion was one of the most powerful examples of that because it, it crossed borders and that, you know, it, it expanded beyond kings. And that's what made it so, so powerful. Uh, but I think it's potentially outlived its value. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what comes. You know, science maybe next, AI maybe the next religion experience where people or psychedelics. That's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for, for being on this. We're, we're going to wrap up. Uh, we're about the hour. And uh, anything, any other final words? I, I usually like to toss it back to the guests and say, you know, if there's any parting wisdoms that you might have. Um, no, I mean, I think that we've we've definitely crossed through a lot of things. There, there are so many pieces I wanted to kind of jump into, and I wish that we we had time to. Um, I think that one thing's for certain that. Uh, has been brought up in this the course of this conversation which is we really do need to be mindful in our approach to things and get more curious with why people like what they like why they are how they are 
you know, why countries run well, even though they're different than ours, as opposed to being corrective and assuming that we have all the right answers. Right. So um, definitely appreciate your your perspective on a lot of this. Um, yeah. And I hope that more people end up uh, treating themselves with kindness and, and curiosity and less restraint and restriction. From your mouth to, you know, God's ears. <laughs> someone <laughs> or the ai overlord that is about to take over uh, but no, thank you so much philia this has been a wonderful conversation uh you know your 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 depth of knowledge and your experience is 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 really unique so i really thank you for your your words today yeah man this is fun all right thank you guys for listening not sure if the path of your parents is the path for you what questions do you begin with? What does self-discovery feel like? My journey of self-discovery has been both my privilege and my tribulation. I have lived life differently than most. I offer educational sessions on how to pursue your path. Links and contacts are in the bios. Thank you for listening to the Sex and Humans podcast. My name is John David Whaler, powered by Riverside FM.